This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No Name Ever, your Clarets podcast. I'm Kevin and joining me this week are James and Natalie to talk about just another away win, this time at Anfield. Liverpool dominated pretty much every stat other than the one that counts, goals. And the first of all sent the away fans into raptures. The Reds replied almost immediately but couldn't find a way past an impressive Nick Pope making his first league start for the Clarets. It continues an impressive start to the season from Burnley with now unbeaten on the road having played Chelsea, Spurs and Liverpool. Natalie James... What did you make of the result? Obviously, I thought it was a great point to get away from home. Um, obviously, Liverpool had a lot of shots, but we, I think we kept them at distance. We, we played a really good game, and it's sort of the polar opposite of what we've come to expect away from home. A great point, and it just continues the way we've kicked the season off in such a positive way away from home. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it was uh, it was a it was a hard game. It was definitely not one for the nerves. I can tell you that. I think I aged about thirty years after leaving Anfield on on Saturday. But so it's a cracking point, and I think it's one that we fully deserved. I will literally happily argue with any Liverpool fan out there that that Burnley fully fully deserved that point. I think to be beaten would have been very 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 harsh. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I, I want to start talking today about Scarfield. So I think he's he's having somewhat of a resurgence in a in a new role this season, isn't he? I think it was his uh, his first goal since October, and he's, he's had two very impactful input performances in the middle of a four five one now. So, James, do you think he's got a bigger role to play this season than we than we previously thought? He appears to be ahead of Ashley Westwood in the pecking order at the moment. Um, I think they're obviously two completely different players. What I would say about uh, Scott Arfield is obviously previously we've always seen him playing in that wide role um, and I think maybe he, he, he doesn't have what it takes at the, the top level to play in that wide role anymore um, and I think that came across in a lot of fans frustrations sort of in at times last season um, but however he, when he's played in this more advanced central midfield role it seems to have worked really well for him and I'm not sure whether it's sort of less of an emphasis on having to, you know, do the backward and forward of the being on the wings or just maybe he feels less pressure being in that position. But personally, I think he's uh, really grown into playing in that position and it's going to be a difficult one, I think, for Daesh when Hendrik comes back on, you know, can you really drop someone who's played in that position twice and so far he's had uh, a great impact on both occasions. Um, 
Whereas I think Hendricks start of the season's maybe been a little bit more muted. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a question I thought we'd be asking uh, before the season is, is does our field stay in the team ahead of Hendrick? Uh, but it's a fantastic uh, problem to have, I think. Um, Natalie, I found the pundits' analysis of the match quite bemusing. I think we've all been talking up about um, how well how well we defended, but also throwing in the, the 35 shots um, stat that Liverpool have had and suggested that they, they really deserve to win. Um, Lee Ashworth tweeted a, a fantastic stat on Twitter afterwards. He said, in the last three games between Burnley and Liverpool, Liverpool have taken 71 shots, scored three goals and picked up four points, whereas we've taken just 19 shots but scored more goals, four, and also picked up four points. So which, which thing is it, Natalie? Did we defend well or did Liverpool deserve to win? Which was it? I don't think Liverpool deserved to win. Um, I think the analysis of the game from the pundits and the, the national media at the weekends really irritated me more than anything. So this is this is literally how this game went from a, I say unbiased, but from a non-Liverpool bias, from somebody who was at the game and saw the game and knew exactly what had happened. Yes, Liverpool were very good. Yes, Liverpool threw everything they could at us. It was a very, very fast-paced game and the Burnley players could hardly get a chance to stop for breath it was just relentless um attack however as impressive as they were in midfield Coutinho especially was very very good in midfield they dominated that battle and they kept possession all the time they never really looked like having a very they didn't make any misses should I say sorry that were shocking misses the stats say that there was, what, 30-odd shots on target. The vast majority of those shots were from way, way, way out of the area. Very long-range efforts that were never going anywhere near the goal. Pope could save them comfortably or a defender could clear them off the line, or, or not off the line, but very close to the line. Um, and that was because of Burnley's defending. Yes, we had to defend. We had to try and nullify that relentless attack, but it was very, very effective. And that solid back four of defence pushed the Liverpool players back to, and reduced them to only being able to shoot from long range. So, yes, the stats may very well show that um, Liverpool dominated the game. And you, you might look at those shots and go, oh, my God, Liverpool battered Burnley. How did they not win 6-0? Well, they didn't win 6-0 because a stat that shows shots on target doesn't ever tell you the true story of the quality of those shots on target or how close they were or just how much of an important miss they were for, for the Liverpool players. Klopp, for me, was very evasive at the weekend and I think he was very savvy in the way he approached this in the media and he concentrated on the, the dominating in possession and how classy it looked in the midfield. But he should really look at that Liverpool side and say, well, for all of the possession that they had and for all of their dominance in midfield, they never really looked like properly scoring. And I think, to be honest, Burnley, the two shot headers that Ben Mee had towards the end were probably better chances for one of the teams to go ahead than any of the Liverpool shots. Sure, you know, Nick Port made a couple of really good saves, but we're talking here about a very small handful of t of, t of, um, of chances. So I think from a possession and from a, a midfield battle perspective, yes, Liverpool deserved... No, 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 hang on, let me rephrase that. From a midfield battle and from a possession perspective, yes, Liverpool dominate the stats and played better. But from a clear-cut perspective, as in 
what have we done enough here to score a goal which i would remind all of the national media is what you actually need to get the points possession stats do not win you games then it was a lot more even than those stats suggest and quite frankly it wouldn't have been a horrible horrible travesty if burnley had a nick to win yeah, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned the, the stats there, actually. Another another tweet I noticed after the match was there was two, actually, Dave Roberts and also North American Clarets. Both tweeted very similar graphs showing the positions of the, the shots which Liverpool took. To really just, It really demonstrates how far back we forced them to go from. Uh, I think, according to Dave, they only, Liverpool only created one clear-cut chance other than the goal. So I think I think that says, that says a lot for me. Um, with, uh, with all the talk of Liverpool's shots... There seems to be a little, a little mention of Ben Mee's chances, which you you talked about there, Natalie. I think twice in the with ten minutes to go, twice we found him unmarked from corners, and on another day you could say that one of us finds its way in. James, do you think that would have been deserved if 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 Ben Mee had scored at the end, and could he have done better and actually found the goal? It's difficult to say. I mean, you can always look at these uh, these chances that were maybe uh, not clear cut, but sort of half chances and, and look at them and say what would have been if, if it had gone in um, obviously Ben Mee wasn't able to take the opportunity and I think if you look at the balance of the game you know I know that a lot of Liverpool's shots are from distance but um, in many ways they were the better attacking side and at the end of the day a point probably fair um, but saying that if we could have still uh, you know stolen all three points then um I certainly would have been complaining whether it was deserved or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and to both of you, very briefly. I know when the fixture list was first announced, this we saw this run of opening away games, and it, it really worried me. I thought I, I thought we'd be pointless on the road until until at least October, and my concern was that a run of defeats could really affect our confidence, and and then end up leading to another situation like last year when we really struggle really badly on the road. Uh, so very quickly, both of you, did you hold any hope whatsoever of us coming away from, before the season, coming away from these three games, Chelsea, Spurs and Liverpool, with anything at all? What do you think, Natalie? Uh, no. <laughs> but not from a not from a, an ability perspective, just more from a psychological perspective. I worried that we left it so late last season to get rid of that away form curse and it was you know it was away at palace and it was great you know it was great to do that but i just felt like it was too late towards the end of the season and they only managed to do it once and i worried that the the hoodoo was going to you know marry on to this season especially with three really difficult games but i always believe that they have the ability to get something from these games if they could get over those um, psychological problems uh, if you look at our away record previous in the premier league it was hard to see us coming away with points against uh, such big sides. But then when you look at the way we did play against some of the big sides away from home, I think the fact that we didn't come away with anything was more down to bad luck than necessarily bad performances. Um, we seem to have this knack of raising our game when we play bigger sides. Um, but previously away from home, it's not actually converted into points. But this season, obviously, we managed to see that change. Um, but still saying that, particularly Chelsea, obviously going away to the 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 champions definitely didn't expect anything there. Probably thought we'd, you know, be comfortably beaten. Um, Spurs, you think there's a chance because of their record at Wembley. Um, so obviously a fantastic point there. And then Liverpool again, one who you think if we play to the best of our ability, we've got every chance of coming away with something. But in the past, these have typically been the games where we've just not had that little rub of the green. 
Yeah, Natalie, you mentioned the, the psychology of it there. And I said I was worried that if we'd got a lot of defeats, it would affect our confidence. Mm. Do you think now it works the other way around? Do you think these wins give, give us belief? And what does it mean, if anything, for our, our season as a whole? Well, it's got to be hugely encouraging, doesn't it? Because one of the problems that we faced last year was a huge reliance on home form. If you can manage to get some points away from... Um, sorry, if you manage to get some points away from home, that takes that pressure off your home form. And it means that if you do have a couple of hiccups, like, say, West Brom at home this season, it isn't the end of the world. Um, you know, you, you've, you've managed to, to get some points on the board because I think a lot of the experts in the pre-season um, analysis all said, oh, you know, can Burnley do it again at home to maintain this, this, you know, their position in the league? If they don't, they're going to get relegated. And just think managing to get these wins in the early part of the season, it's just it just shows that last season was just a bit of a, a freak at the end of the day. You know, we managed to play very well in some of those games and we're unlucky to come away with nothing. And actually, what I tend to think, what I tend to look at as a good marker for this is how much it's been talked about in the press. Burnley's, the comparison of away form to this season and last season is pretty much non-existent from what I've seen in the press at the moment. Now, bearing in mind that we're in a 24-7 news cycle where Sky Sports and, and you know, Sky Sports News, other media outlets and newspapers as well, you know, they need headlines for clicks. You know, they, they tend to pick up on anything they can. So the fact that they're not even using the comparison between last season and this season and in our away form just shows that I don't think anybody actually thinks it's a thing anymore and they just think, oh, it was just a, a one-off last season and we're going to be fine. I think it's uh, it's very good to, to get it banished and hopefully never to be spoken of ever again, ever um, now, obviously, the big story of the game was our, our new sleeve sponsor. No, no, sorry. No. Uh, obviously, the big story of the game was Nick Pope's full Premier League debut. He's very inexperienced. I was looking, actually. He's only played around half a season in the Championship. And before that, he's, uh, the highest he played was League Two. So, he's obviously, he's not... Sean Dyche mentioned it, I think, either before or after the match. But he's very he's very young in terms of, in terms of games. And I, I don't think it showed myself. I think he played very well. What do you think, James? Yeah, I think it was a you know an accomplished performance from someone who's making his his first full debut. Um, obviously, it's a difficult spot to be put in because Tom Heaton's been such a big player for us um, in the Premier League. To come in the way he did in the last game, I think he did very very well. It's a difficult position to come in when you know you see your captain, uh, you know probably the, I'd imagine the leader of the squad off the pitch as well as on the pitch, uh, go off like that. Um, knowing it could be quite a long way off, and I'd imagine he felt quite a lot of pressure um, in that game. So then to come out and to make your full debut at somewhere like Anfield, um, club with a lot of history uh, at the highest level in the English game, it, it must have been a lot of pressure. But he's he's done well. Um, I don't think he's had too many difficult saves to make. I think a lot of routine stuff, uh, thanks to keeping Liverpool mainly to to distant shots. But obviously he did make the one outstanding save and. Um, it saves like that that you need goalkeepers to make when the the pressure's on and you know you need so you need someone to pull something off, uh, pull something out of the hat to save the day. He managed to do that, and I think that's uh, you know highly commendable in a, a first performance to to have the composure to make that save. One unexpected thing to come from Nick Pope's leap into the limelight is his na- his namesake Nick Pope, the UFO investigator. No, really. Uh, he's won a few fans on Twitter this week after he was repeatedly mistaken for our Nick Pope. So, of course, we had to speak to him. 
if it's possible that anyone who's not seen your tweets yet, introduce who you are and, and what you do. Well, I used to work for the British government at the Ministry of Defence, and I ran their UFO project. So the media know me as the real-life Fox Mulder, and I've been on a, about a zillion TV shows uh, talking about UFOs, the unexplained, and conspiracy theories. It sounds like a fascinating job, investigating UFOs for the Ministry of Defence. What I can't even begin to think what a day in that job might, might be like. What is a day in the life of an MOD UFO investigator? Well, it wasn't quite like the X-Files you see on TV. It was more interviewing witnesses, checking to see if anything was tracked on military radar, getting photographs and videos analysed. Uh, you might have questions from the media. The subject might get raised in Parliament, in which case you'd have to brief the Secretary of State for Defence. Uh, you might even have kids doing school projects, writing in and asking for help. So there, there really wasn't a typical day, but it was all good fun and absolutely fascinating. It certainly doesn't sound like the life of a footballer. So what, what, what happened when people first started mistaking you for our Nick Pope on Twitter? Well, I'd known about Nick for some time. And in, indeed, my fantasy football team at the Ministry of Defence is even called I'm Not Burnley's Reserve Keeper. <laughs> but, Fantastic. Um, <laughs> So, but, uh, you know, and I'd seen, uh, obviously, that there was a, a player with the same name as myself and that he'd been kind of rising through the ranks. But things didn't really explode until, of course, the bad news for Tom about uh, his injury and then Nick having to step up and take that first team place with Heaton being uh, injured. And at that point, I started to get a few tweets. And I wasn't sure at first whether they were just uh, tongue in cheek and people were just having a joke or whether people were genuinely mistaking the two Nick Popes. So I made a couple of tweets and said, you know, uh, no, I don't have a second career as Burnley's keeper. And then, uh, you know, for your information, I'm the guy that ran the government's UFO project, not the guy keeping goal for Burnley. And then it just exploded. Yeah, I, I, the the tweets I've seen has, has had masses of masses of likes and retweets. Uh, is that is it your is it your most popular tweets ever? Or is it, have you have you had a fame in other ways on Twitter? Well, no, this was easily I think the most popular. And as you say, I got a whole stack of retweets, and I think that uh, Burnley FC picked it up, and uh, various other people associated with with Burnley, with the Premiership more generally. Uh, some big names in there started following me in the football world. And yeah, I think we got something like a million impressions or whatever it is they call it on Twitter. I'm not, I'm not a huge expert on this, but it, it exploded. My own followers in two days went up from, I think, about uh, 10,000 to 12,000, which was, you know, pretty remarkable. And I tried to play it tongue in cheek. I mean, I, I tried to be a good sport about this. And, uh, you know, I saw the funny side, of course. And I said something like, well, I expect the other Nick will get questions about aliens and I'll get comments and questions about uh, closing down uh, big center forward coming in, uh, lining up a shot or something. I, I really, really, really hope your other Nick does get questions about aliens. That'd be fantastic. Um, it got a bit more interesting when somebody called Tom Heaton reached out to you on Twitter and said that he was having a similar thing. Have you, have you, uh, have you chatted about your common experience? What was it like to talk to someone with a, uh, the same thing happening at the same time in a similar situation? 
I haven't actually talked to him. I liked his tweet. It was superb. Uh, he responded, I think, with, I feel your pain, Nick. And, uh, and that, of course, then went viral as well. And um, things kind of only took off from there. The Sun saw the story on my Twitter feed and ran a story on it. I understand it was picked up as well by Talk Sport. And, uh, yeah, and I, I actually posted a couple of, tweets where I said, obviously, you know, nobody likes to see any footballer injured and we all wish Tom a speedy and quick recovery. But but of course, I, I was sort of interested in Nick getting a good chance and said, you know, good luck. Hope hope you have a, a great game. And, and clearly it's going to be very good for him. And uh, although I'm an Arsenal fan, I, I hasten to say, of course, I, I wish that Nick had uh, kept a clean sheet. But I know that uh, even though that wasn't possible, he, by all accounts, had an absolutely cracking game against Liverpool. Hugely difficult game for him as the, the first um, premiership start and played all the way through. And I, I saw that the manager was saying great things, that the pundits were saying great things. So, you know, I wish I wish him you know, all the very best. And I've started to follow him. He started to follow me. So you know, this is a, an interesting situation. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you, you're touching it a bit there. And you, you, you mentioned that you were aware of him previously, but has this motivated you uh, to, to follow, follow Burnley games and follow Nick's career a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, when, when you came up into the Premiership, I, you, you know, was always interested and you always wonder with with the teams that are promoted whether they're going to go straight back down but um you know Burnley I think have done very very well I you know I am interested not least because I when I lived in the the UK I, I emigrated actually now live in the US so I don't follow the football quite as much but um still keep my hand in still have a fantasy football team entered in the Ministry of Defense League uh, I saw that uh Obviously, Gray had been sold and Keane had been sold. But uh, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I would say mid-table respectability. And everything I saw and heard about uh, Nick's game prompts me to think that uh, even even with uh, Heaton out, he'll do well, you'll do well, and uh, it's looking like an interesting season. I certainly hope so. That'd be fantastic. Um, j- as uh, James has just sent me a link to um, a story about a UFO sighting in Burnley in 2015, and also apparently there was one in, in 1995 that prompted 250 calls on the same day. So, do you think Burnley is a key destination for UFOs? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, people have all sorts of debates about what's a hot spot, but that's that's a lot of calls. That's a lot of calls from people saying something. So, so who knows? Um, now, you know, when all these stories come up people say why Burnley why wherever it is that uh, people are having sightings I don't know I mean I'm not one of these people who has a a neat answer to the UFO mystery I investigated it for the government but we never got a definitive solution and despite what the conspiracy theorists say we don't we honestly hand on heart don't have a spaceship hidden away in an air force hangar somewhere uh, and finally, I saw a bright light in the sky last night, and I'm a bit worried it might be the start of an alien invasion. Is Burnley's title bid likely to be interrupted by an interplanetary war? Oh, a title bid! <laughs> now that that is big talk. <laughs> I, I thought I thought you were going to be talking about mid-table respectability. Or, uh, I'm going to say know. Nick. I'm going to say Nick. I think there's more chance of Burnley going for the title than Arsenal this season. 
Oh, <laughs> now that is that is fighting talk. It's uh, yeah, early days, early days. But um, Arsenal. Well, I think the pre- the priority for Arsenal is going to be to get back into the Champions League. That's that's I think. But looking like a very promising side, and uh, Lacazette looks like he's going to be a you know twenty plus goal a man season so uh, who knows but uh, alien invasion no I think you're all right keep watching the skies but um, if Burnley don't get the title this season don't try and blame aliens for it <laughs> damn it that was my excuse gone and very finally Nick um, if people want to keep to keep tabs on your your tweets and your updates on on Nick Pope this season how, how can they uh, how, how can they follow you my website is nickpope.net. That has all the information about my government work on these real-life X-Files. And uh, my website also has links to Twitter and Facebook. I'm so, so happy that that has just happened. It's probably the best thing we've ever done in our seven years of uh, as none ever. This is a genuine request now. Please send us your, your own UFO experiences. We also asked, genuinely, we also asked Port Francis for his thoughts on Nick's, uh, Nick's performance, but he never got back to us, so that's disappointing. Uh, so Natalie, onto the real Nick in the middle of our goal. He's very popular with a Burnley congregation already, isn't he? I think he's, he's already got oh, a cracking wow, him. Kevin. He's got a cracking <laughs> him. Ready? No, it's not over yet. And with all this alien nonsense going on, I'm just glad he didn't c- drop a clangor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Have you been working on those all day? I, I mean, all you week. You have, haven't you? All wow. week. I get the feeling from Bromer's lack of reaction that she's has she made the connection with the clangers. Yeah, it's the clangers is the the thing. The little pink knitted yeah, the, things. The cartoon I think thing. the real question is can you answer the next question in clanger? Okay, I'm gonna ask the next question in in clangery. That was it. That's it. Okay, so That that in that translated is seriously though, how incredible Natalie was that save at the end. <laughs> I think <laughs> <laughs> No, this is real, this is serious now. Come on. Peter Schmeichel. Peter Schmeichel said it was the best save of the season so far. Oh um, really? I didn't see that. Yeah, he tweeted out saying that. I've I've been a bit surprised about the the lack of attention it's had. I don't think it was mentioned on Match of the Day, and a lot no. of the, I think a lot of people have have just had it going down as as a miss going on straight onto the crossbar. But it certainly looked from the photos like a save for me. What do you think? Was it a save? Well, it certainly looked in in live time as a save, and we were we were right behind that net, um, and it looked like he got a hand to it, and we certainly didn't hear it the ball ricochet off the off the um, crossbar, which he would have done obviously if it have hit the bar so I'm going to go with a save but I just think I think as well what makes it even more impressive is that you've got to bear in mind that most of the action was in our half throughout the full 90 minutes apart from you know the, the few chances that Burnley had to, to break away into the Liverpool half so whilst I did say earlier on that a lot of the shots were long range shots and you know it wasn't like Nick was having to dive down at every single opportunity. He did have to stay very, very, very alert for the entire match. So to still have the mental sharpness and the reactions at that late stage in the game when he's had a very tough game, both mentally and physically, to still be able to pull off those saves right in the dying moments is really, really impressive for me. Yeah, but I, I, I say particularly so after having played so little football over the last 
the last year or so. It must be, I guess, it must be a lot easier to stay, stay focused when you're when you're in, in the practice of doing so and, and being back every week. So yeah, it was it was fantastic, uh, fantastic for me, James. If if that if that was as we all if we all as we all seem to think here, if that was a save, it's unbelievable. Is that better than Tom Heaton's save at Old Trafford last year, which got so much attention? I'm not sure. That's that's a difficult one. Um, I think it's a great reaction save. Um, It's difficult. I'd say it's maybe on par with Heaton's save. I wouldn't say better. Heaton's save just hit him so hard that I think he he said after he he was surprised he didn't break his arm or something, that it made it all the more impressive, I think, that not only did he react to it, he didn't let it just go through him. Um, whereas obviously the one port was made, I think a little bit more low velocity. Um, so while it's a great reaction, I think it, it's a little bit easier for him maybe to not be overwhelmed by it. Um, but I don't think you can take anything away from either save. They were both fantastic saves and obviously both key saves um, in the respective games. How important, Natalie, was it for was it for for Nick Pope to come through his match with with a with a good performance? Considering that I thought he looked quite nervy last weekend, and obviously he's got not got a lot of, a lot of experience uh, playing football at a, a decent level. So how important was it for him to come through and and, and get through the match? Really? Well, of course, it was hugely important. I think it's going to give him even more confidence than he had going into the game. I think the Palace game, for me, I agree with you, Kevin. I think he did look nervous at the Palace game. I think he needed a couple of those shots to stop and a couple of those saves, didn't he, just to to get himself grounded. But I think that's perfectly understandable. Dyke talks a lot about his players being ready to step up to the mark immediately on notice. I don't buy that with keepers, and I think with the best will in the world, keepers, especially when you deputise for Tom Heaton, you do, do not expect to come on to any game. So for the Palace game, he wasn't expecting to come on. He wasn't 100% mentally prepared. He wasn't 100% warmed up. He'd not trained with the first team all week. He'll have been, you know, keeper training, of course, but he wouldn't have been in the focus like Tom Heaton was. So he was naturally going to be a little bit under par and that's perfectly understandable that's not a criticism that is just how it was and I'm quite happy with that what I said to the guys and I think I might have mentioned this on last week's podcast as well once we knew the extent of Tom Heaton's injury Pope knows he's going to be in the nets now until at least January what he's then got the opportunity to do is number one get his mind on the fact that he is now playing every single game for the next few months he has the benefit of training with the first team having the focus of the manager the coaching staff and the goalkeeping staff to get him 100% ready for that game so that will have improved him and finally he was going into a no pressure game palace at home another potential relegation rival if we're going to look on the the worst case scenario was a high pressure game he couldn't afford to let a goal in and lose us some points that we needed at home away at Anfield nobody expects us to get anything and they're not the games that dictate whether you stay in the Premier League they are bonus points so he had the benefit on Saturday of going out there and playing with confidence and playing in a relaxed frame of mind with nothing to lose and I just think that all of those factors plus the fact that he was very busy so he actually was able to 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 perform all the time just added to just the absolute perfect full debut for him and I think I think it's just exactly what he needed just to really help him fantastic I also wanted to give a a brief mention to Ben Mayu captain the side superbly I thought I think if he if he's had a I think he was fantastic last season. He's had a fantastic start to this season, and there's been a few a few calls for England call ups, which, if he continues playing like this, can can only get louder. I think. 
Now, this podcast is going out on Tuesday, so most people will listen to it after the Leeds game. So, Natalie and James, think very carefully as your next answer is going to make you look either like a genius or very, very stupid. Natalie, what are your expectations for the game? My expectations for the game are that Deitch will not pay it very much attention at all. Um, And that's not to be disrespectful to the cup. That's the reality. I think he paid more attention to the Blackburn game because that was a forced scenario because he knew the lynching that the fans would give him if he played kids and we lost and it would have just been horrendous. He knew the importance of that game for a fan and he was probably annoyed that that fixture came out because it's not what he wanted from his squad. He now won't care whether Burnley get knocked out or not. So I expect more changes to the squad than there were uh, for the Blackburn game. And I don't expect him to take it massively seriously. I think Leeds, on the other hand, uh, will come in force. I think they will be a little bit more um, ambitious than maybe we are with this cup. It's difficult in some respects because I hear now a lot of justification for championship sides to rest first teamers for the league cup as a side point it has now become a nothing cup for me and I think that's a separate debate that we might have at another podcast we can have that debate when we're winning it yeah that's true yeah I'll eat my words then won't I when that happens but I think for Tuesday night for this season the priority main remains the Premier League if Deitch feels comfortable enough in around January time that the season's going well and we're probably doing enough to survive. I think he will concentrate any possible cup glory with the FA Cup. I just think the League Cup's too early in the season. It's not worth risking key players and I expect Leeds to beat us. Negly. Um, I think we'll play a sort of similar side to what we did against Blackburn. Um, a few changes, but nothing drastic. I don't think we have a big enough squad to, you know, to make a, a full 11 switch. Um, while I think Dash won't be upset if we go out, I think it's trying to think of the, the best word for it. I don't think he's such a. I don't think he's the type of person who isn't competitive uh, in every game he plays. I think he expects us to go out and win every game we play. Um, there will be changes, but I think it, it won't be um, a side that's not capable of beating a, a team like Leeds. Um, and I expect us to to win. Very quickly, yes, no answer. Does does Nick Pope play? Yes. Yes. There we go. So on to the weekend. Huddersfield has started the season very well. Sit just above us on goal difference. We've we've already come unstuck against unfancied opposition at Turf this season against uh, against West Brom. Could could Huddersfield be the same story, Natasfield? Natasfield. <laughs> I thought you were saying Natasphere. Then I was like, it's like the atmosphere, but my atmosphere. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna corner that phrase. That's it, yeah. Natasphere. Uh, Natalie, Natalie. <laughs> um, I, I feel like Saturday's game is going to be a little bit more of a challenge than I was hoping it was going to be. Um, essentially, well. I had a really interesting debate with somebody about this the other day, and I think this is a really important point to think about in that I can't, there's part of me that just can't spend the entire season worrying about relegation and counting points and worrying about bonus points that other sides pick up and worrying about who's going to go up and who's going to stay up. I just feel like I just need to get to March and see where we are and worry about it then if we're getting close. But there's a, that's really hard to do because everything about me is looking at 
the six or seven sides who I think are going to be in the mix at the end of the season. And Huddersfield, Brighton and Newcastle are, of course, in those bottom three that we would really hope to go down. If Huddersfield don't go down this season or Brighton don't go down, there is a big club going down in their place. So in that sense, it's frustrating that Huddersfield have had the start that they've had because you want them to have struggled to adapt to the Premier League. You don't want them to have had as many points on the board. Now, saying that, they've had... They they were blessed with a good start. If you look at the fixture list, they had winnable games, but they also had a lot of six-pointers in there. And Huddersfield did exactly what they were supposed to do. They won the most of those games and they drew where they needed to. It now starts getting tougher for them because they've got some tougher fixtures. And I'm going to put us in that bracket. Burnley away at Turf Moor is a tough fixture. It's going to be one of the tougher ones that they've, they've um, come across so far. Um, so, yeah, it's frustrating for us that it's not going to be a, it's not going to be as comfortable as I was hoping it was going to be. Um, I don't think Dyche or the players expected it to be. I think that's just from a fan perspective. Saying that, we are now in our second season and I think that we should at home have more than enough to stop Huddersfield from strike. Uh, sorry, stop Huddersfield from scoring, um, and to put a couple in the back of the net ourselves. So, as as worried as I am from a results perspective, I'm feeling pretty confident that we've got enough to beat them. Let's hope so. And just to come full circle, we start the podcast with James talking about Scott Arfield, and we're going to end it in the same way. James, does Arfield keep his place in the team if Hendrick's fit? Or and. Is there another risk of a, another four four two? What do you think Sean Dyche does with this uh, with the lineup at the weekend? I think it's a difficult one. Obviously, not sure how how serious uh, Hendricks' injury was. Sort of what his recovery has been like. Whether Darcy's maybe going to be wanting to be a little bit cautious. I mean, it's potential that if he's sort of uh, you know one hundred percent fit, we might see him a little bit um, against Leeds. Uh, just to sort of give him a little run out last last twenty minutes sort of thing, just to see how he's feeling, um, and that might make a you know a part in the decision on Saturday. But uh, obviously, Arfield's had those two really good games, um, but they've both been away from home. And obviously, in the the last home game, we went back to four four two. So I mean, it, it's difficult to say because I could easily see Dash going back to four four two against all performance evidence. Even though obviously we came away with a great. Great win last time at home. It, it wasn't necessarily the best performance of the season. Um, I'd like to see him, him stick with Arfield. Um, you know, I think you've got to reward players for performances, and Arfield's undoubtedly had two great performances playing in that role. And I think he deserves a, you know, another crack at it. Natalie's just putting our chat. No, no, and no. So I'm, I'm guessing you're in favour of Hendrick, Natalie. <laughs> I am, yes. But listen, th- there's a reason for this, and it, it's no disrespect to Scott Arfield. I think he's done a fantastic job, but Arf- uh, but Hendrick is a better player. Um, I think Arfield has got a really important role to play this season in covering for um, the midfield if somebody does get injured or suspended and he's done a fantastic job in that five-man midfield and he's carving out that specialty role for himself as as James talked about earlier. To put Arfield in before Hendrick I think is a mistake. I think we should be looking to improve the squad and Hendrick is a better midfielder who's got more quality about him so I think at least start Hendrick if he's available. If he's not 100% there for a full game then you've got the option of bringing Arfield on and he'll deputise very very well but not in place of Hendrick. 
Okay, and that's all, folks. Thanks to Natalie and James for your contributions throughout the podcast. Thanks to the one and... No, to the other Nick Pope. And thanks especially to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this week's podcast, please share it on social media and give us give us a, a rating on iTunes. It, it really helps us. Uh, and make sure you send us your thoughts and reactions and your what you think of uh, what we've talked about and also what you think of uh, the, the Leeds game and the Huddersfield game. You can email them to podcast.nonineever.net or you can tweet them to at nonineever. So stay tuned for a podcast clip from this time a year ago. Natalie's in the hot seat next week when hopefully we'll be celebrating two Turf Moor wins. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye. Burnley beating 3-0 at Leicester City. Second straight 3-0 defeat on the road. Not a great performance at all, it's got to be said from Burnley. But... And it could have been worse, but um, it wasn't. But in all the games so far, we've not been that far off the pace. And then on Saturday we were... It wasn't really like we are in the same, same league as Leicester. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.